Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey guys, before I share this next conversation, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have continued to support the podcast with your monthly donations. And for anyone who also wants to support it, it's really easy. All you do is go to littleknownfactspodcast.com and you'll see that there's a contributions page when you look at the homepage menu and it explains how to donate. And when I say no donation is too small, I really mean it. Even a dollar a month will make a huge difference in my being able to share these episodes with you every week. So thank you to those who have already given. Thank you in advance to those who might contribute in the future. And without further ado, here's the next episode of Little Known Facts. Enjoy. Little known fact about my guest today. When she was a student at the High School of Performing Arts in New York City, she was cast on a TV show called Fame which was all about students at the High School of Performing Arts in New York City. It doesn't get more meta than that. Welcome the brilliant actress Erica Gimple to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Welcome, my dear friend, Erica Gimple to the podcast. How are you? I am well. I am so happy to be here with you today. I've been trying to remember because it's hard to remember a time in my life where I didn't know you, um, (laughs) but I was really trying to remember because we got to see each other for a minute this year when you were in New York, which was so happy making. Um, Mm. I know that we got to do a play together at the Vineyard Theater in 1990, which is so crazy. Yes. Um, yes. But I didn't know if I'd known you like a little bit through Naked Angels before or if that in your recollection is where we first met. I think we saw each other at Naked Angels a couple of times through mutual friends, but really got to know each other doing that play. That was that was when we I felt we really connected. Yes. And all these years later, whenever you pop up in my um life virtually or in person. Um, It just, I feel so much love. And so I just want to start by saying that from the moment I met you, I thought I was in the presence of like the most loving, creative teacher. And to watch all these years, your work as an artist and as an activist kind of permeate the world in such a beautiful, generous way. I just want to start out by saying that, like, I feel it. I feel the vibrations of all of the beauty and passion you put into the world. So this is just an excuse to start off by saying thank you. Oh, that those I'm receiving your words and it really means a lot. Thank you for saying that. That means a great deal to me. So here's what's crazy. Almost every day of my life, there is a kid in my house who goes to LaGuardia, which used to be called the High School of the Performing Arts. Um, It's still sort of noted as the fame school, even in 2020, because Mm. of the power of that movie and that television series that you start on. And the thing that blows every one of them away, dancers, singers, drama, students, studio art students alike, is when I tell them that you auditioned for that show while you were in the school and their heads explode. (laughs) um, Because... because (laughs) Because that's insane. And you have done so much work since then. And we're going to talk about 
the things you're passionate about today as well. But I just have to start at that story because that's mind blowing. Mm. Well, thank How you. did that happen? Well, it's so funny because I was, I was modeling while I was at performing arts and I, um, there was a woman, I'm sure you remember Davy and Littlefield. Of right? course. Of course yes. Right. So she was working at elite modeling agency at that time. And I had just gotten into performing arts. This was actually in my, my uh, junior year. So it was one year I'd gone in as a sophomore and, um, they screened the film for all of us at performing arts and it was just mind blowing. And I loved being at that school. I really felt like I had found my tribe. I found teachers that inspired me with the mission of what it means to be an artist and Mm -hmm. what kind of grand mission that is to really, you know, using Shakespeare's words to, you know, hold as it were to hold a mirror up to nature and really reflect humanity unto itself as artists and that kind of grand mission. And when I saw the movie, I went with some friends and we were like dancing down the street afterward. And then Davian says, you know, there's an audition for it. Do you want to go? And literally I used to roller skate to school every day. So on my roller skates, I go to this audition I clomp up the stairs in my roller skates. I clomp, 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 you know, like, I'm just like, I arrive. I am there. You know, the beauty of youth is you're just like, you show up and it's like, what is this? Or I'm here. I mean, I'd done the work, you know, I worked on the sides and everything, but I came with a real genuine, you know, presence and uh, that ended up becoming being flown out to California to screen test and then getting the role. And it was mind blowing. And were you a, a, a singing? No, uh, I was a drama major. Okay, drama. So drama. Yeah, I was in the drama department, Whoa. and right. so that was. And I had such an allegiance to the school, so I was really, at that time, wanting to present my school in a true, at true way. So I had a mm. lot of, and at that also that time, Bill Moyers had come to our school and did a documentary on creativity. So there was this whole other aspect of um, something that I I had the entire production team watch that documentary in California. (laughs) I was like, you want to see the truth? Here it is, you know. And then they're like, thank you, we're going to make our TV show. (laughs) Exactly. That is exactly (laughs) what it was. And I was like, they were like, you know, we've got ratings in the Midwest. I was like, no, but we've got to honor this. And, you know, and then. And they, they did. I definitely had influence. I mean, I definitely was able to bring moments that I felt were really, um, really a true reflection of what was going on at the school. So that was that was great. Did you have to leave school to film the series? Well, OK, so this is all like secret stuff. I mean, the you know, as I don't know if it's still the same for your children, but, you know, you weren't allowed to work while going to school. Right. And they, you know they made a bit of an exception for me because of, you know, what the show was about, but I had to have tutors on, you know, I was a minor at that time. So I had a school tutor and we were, you know, having the work in New York and LA and trying to be doing it together. And so it was a little kind of um, under the radar, but also because it was bringing focus to the school. And I was also very, adamant about my stance about really wanting to represent the school in a really honest light, just from my perspective. But I will say this, and I will always remember this teacher, Mrs. Shine, because I decided to go back and graduate. A lot of people who would get work would never come back. Right. And I was in the hall and I'll never forget this. She said to me, she said, it's so rare that you came back Mm -hmm. and I'm so proud of you for coming back. And it just, her words just really moved my heart because, you know, you, I couldn't return. I was different. The school was a little different that year and a half I was gone, but I was still, I came back with my heart open because I loved the school so much and I wanted to graduate. That was so important to me. And her support in that way will always, it just meant so much. Mm-hmm. It really meant so much. Yeah. So the series went on for for many, many years. Yes. But you did not stay on it the whole time. 
Exactly. And, and can you talk about that? Sure. I, I really, you know, it's so funny. I really wanted to come back to New York to do theater. That was really my dream. <laughs> you know, it was, and so getting the series felt like this is kind of like not what I was intending. You know, I went to a different direction and I honestly missed home. I missed New York. I was young. I was 19 at the time. And because I signed on as a minor, they, they let me out. And that's so rare, as you know, to be let yes. out of a contract. Yes. Um, so I was able to do it. And I um, came back to New York. And then Debbie Allen would get me on as a guest, you know, coming back to recur a couple of times throughout uh-huh. the years. Uh-huh. And um, But that's, I, I really, it was my choice. I wanted to come back and really be back home. And it was, you know, being so young and having that kind of world fame was a lot to um, walk through. And because, you know, can you imagine a time where we didn't have cell phones and you couldn't see where you were going to go and you just ended up, you know, I'm just saying like, you know, mm-hmm. how you can get a text, yeah. see your cell phone when you land somewhere and you can get a yeah. sense of where you're going to go. And we would go to different parts around like London, we were rock stars and we had no idea that that was going to be the response. So it was very intense, you know? Um, and I just felt I really needed to take some time to hone my craft. And, and so I was able to do both, which was fantastic. Cause I could go back and, you know, do a couple of shows and then come back, but it was, it was really what I wanted to do. And what were you the youngest? I was the member? baby on the set. Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. So they, no they'd one have else to shoot. still in high school, literally. Yeah. yeah, and they'd have to shoot me out so I could only work eight hours a day. And I know that yeah. your mom was just, you know, your, your mom and dad um, were performers and, mm-hmm. you know, your, your father's an actor and, and your mom is just a gorgeous singer. So you were not... Um, immune to the world of theater people and showbiz in some way. Um, But were you still shocked to be on a set and kind of see what goes on in, in the world of making a TV show? Was it, was it absolutely um, mind bending? What were the things that were like, wait, this isn't what we do at half hour. Like, I I mean, you know, what was so unique about fame was because we were not only just, doing a scene. We were learning a dance number. We were in the recording studio recording songs. So it was everything. Talk about a university of life and, and work. It was mind expanding. And just physically, I was in the best shape of my life with dancing and singing and acting. And so it was, um, it was a huge education. It was, it was phenomenal in that way because I was learning. I was literally, truly learning. Debbie Allen, who, you know, is just such a remarkable human in terms of all the things that she does in a day, um, is also, I mean, this does not come from personal experience as much as an observation feels like a very formidable presence to Mm. me. Um, and, I guess it's why I was asking before, like if you were a singing major or a dance major at, at in high school, but that you were um, an acting major, yet you were expected to dance at a really um, sophisticated level very quickly. Were there tears involved or were you able to be shepherded? I mean, obviously you could move, but, but she's <laughs> an intense choreographer. So yeah. were you sobbing or did you feel held up or both? Um, well, you know, I would, once I got the show, it was like, okay, because I, I was taking, you know, jazz classes in New York and dancing at Alvin Ailey and I wasn't in the company, and I, but I would take class. So okay. once I got the show, it was like, okay, these are the classes you need to take. This is what you need to get stronger at. And so when we were off, it was just like boot camp, get your butt in class, get strong. And then there were other, what was great is that there were dancers like, and he's an actor now, but Michael Lorenzo was Mm -hmm. one of the dancers and he was also one of the co one of her co I wouldn't say co-choreographers but he would help me with the choreography or different people would help so that I was feeling supported but I'm telling you we would be in that studio for hours until I would get it for hours and that's what I just took on and that Mm -hmm. was 
Um, but I felt supported. I mean, I didn't feel like, you know, you'd go out there not knowing what you're doing. You would right. really, really work it over and over and over. So that was, that was really uh, powerful. And so, I mean, you know, I, I had seen Debbie when I was in performing arts when she did West Side Story. Yeah, me too. You know, so it was like when I met her, I was just so blown away because I loved seeing her in that. And that was such a big. So when we had this dance number on the show called I Still Believe in Me, which she choreographed, it was really a dream come true for me because it was dancing with her and this beautiful song. And it was just Mm -hmm. it was really phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Did that show happen the sort of explosion and reaction to it in real time like you do one season I don't know how many episodes there were and I remember what a big deal it was you know first the movie I can see the album cover in my head the logo for fame in my mind is sort of the way Rent's logo became a graphic that is just so recognizable and it's on t-shirts and everyone's wearing leg warmers. Like there's this whole, there's the fashion component and then there's the, um, I want to be on that show and, and sort of, it was aspirational, I guess, also for people Mm. who watched it. Mm. Um, but did that impact like the, the, I, I watched some documentary when you guys went to London and it really was what you're describing, like Beatlemania, like it was insanity, um, yeah. the reception. So the idea that you wouldn't have known exactly what to expect, you know, when you got off the plane and suddenly it's like madness like that. But how quickly does that happen? Um, because you were just filming for a year and then suddenly it's like this really big thing. So how did that happen so quickly? I mean, I, th- I think especially when it got released in Europe and I, you know, I don't know how they, how the show rolled out in a sense in that mm-hmm. way, but it did happen in real time, but we really weren't, we didn't know the response until we actually hit the ground because it's not like we have social media now where we can see the response right away from tweeting with people. Do you know what I mean? It was like you got there and you were like, Oh my goodness. And I think my favorite wild memory was we actually, when we went to Israel, because we were huge in Israel as well. And we got off the plane and there, you know, they had all these soldiers with the, you know, guns and they were like, okay, get in this van. And we were like ushered into this van and it was like, what the heck? And then they took us, drove us, you know, through Israel. I don't know where we were exactly. And then we got to this huge outdoor amphitheater and they're like, okay, hit the stage. And we're like, what? And there are thousands of people. And it was, you know, you're kind of, it's surreal. It's a surreal yeah. experience. So well, it's like Idol, right? You're on the show and then suddenly you're touring with the American Idol company. Yeah. Did you it's, know that that was going to be part of it, that you'd be touring as the cast of fame and doing concerts all over the world? Like, was that pitched to you from the beginning? No, because no one knew to the extent of the success that it would go to. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I think that that was happening as things started kicking off, you know, mm-hmm. just emerged. Was so. it a critically praised show? It was obviously beloved by viewers, but did it also have that? I think, you know, I think it did, but here, here's the crazy thing about television and why it went to syndication so quickly is that it was up against, I can't even remember if it was Magnum PI or something that it wasn't bringing in the numbers, you know? Mm. So it was critically acclaimed, but it wasn't, you know, Nielsen ratings. It wasn't as well as it could have been. So that's why it went to syndication because it was only on the air on network TV on NBC for like two years on NBC. So that's the dance of, you know, what happens. Right. And then it just became something they did versions of all over the world and they still do it, right? Like you are involved. Would you say that you're still involved with something fame related on any given year still? Yes. I mean, we're going to do something this Saturday to help raise money for the Actors Fund. And and then we've been doing these reunion concerts in Europe and in Italy. And, and also they did one in the UK. I wasn't able to go because I was working mm-hmm. on a film. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's always, there's there it it revisits itself and i think 
I think what, what has been the most meaningful for me, to be honest, is that when people will come up to me and say, because of that show, they followed their dream. Mm-hmm. Or because they saw someone like me who looked like me on television, and let's say this person lived in Idaho and didn't see people like them around them in their community or at school, it gave them confidence to go forward. Or because it was such a diverse cast at a time where people, you know, it, it was it was very new in that way of like harnessing that kind of youth creative energy through the socioeconomic different, you know, rates, rate, um, you know, economic, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, just the different, the different socioeconomic levels. And then right. also racially as well. It was just this beautiful contribution to the world at that time. And it can be a beautiful contribution right now with what we're going through in terms mm-hmm. of just diversity and working together. And really supporting each other one on one and different, you know, unique storylines that were going on. And I think that I'm most proud of that. I really am. It's incredible. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your parents and that love story. I know that you lost your dad uh, recently. And so I'm sure, you know, how one reels from that. Uh, Mm -hmm. just continues to take on so many shapes and forms for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like they had such a unique love story at a time where there weren't a lot of interracial marriages um, Mm -hmm. in, in, and and sort of what their story is. And, and can you talk a little bit about their love story? I'd be happy to. I mean, you know, my dad was from Colorado and his heritage was Slavic from Slovenia. And he came to New York to pursue acting. And my mom was from Westchester. And they both shared a singing, the same singing teacher. Oh, that was the connection. That was the connection. Okay. And the story goes that dad was getting free lessons by cleaning up the studio, you know, mm-hmm. and he was mom came in and she was the star singer of the studio. I mean, cause she really, she'd gone to Juilliard. She was just really amazing singer. And um, so anyway, she came in and she saw this very handsome man cleaning, you know, the, I guess the waiting area. And she, he was doing to be or not to be the soliloquy from Hamlet. And dad as says, he's cleaning, like as, as he's, he's cleaning, cleaning, right. As he's cleaning, he's, he's doing it. Right. And then he said he turned and he saw her in this, it was winter and he saw her in this blue coat and that was it for him. He just was taken by her. And, um, and he was living in the village and in Mulberry street at the time. And they were spending time together in little Italy. And, um, and this is the early 1960s, early 60s, early 60s, early 60s. Uh And so their love was a revolutionary act, right? You know, they, and they got married and had me and, and they just, um, 56 years of marriage. And it's been what I really appreciate about growing up with both of them was in my home, I saw how love transformed or transmuted racism because Mm -hmm. my father was just my father and my mother was my mother. There wasn't, oh, this is a black woman and a white man. It was no, it was, and creativity was our source of expression. So we would sing together, you know, there was, you know, I was reading lines with my dad from (laughs) plays when I was five. He's like running lines with him, you know, I mean, just like- creativity probably in your household you can relate (laughs) and um but they they really had a deep love a deep love and that I'm so grateful that I got to witness that and and then we would do shows together we would sing people would call us the gimple trio and um and you know what you were just saying the reverberations of loss is just um because my dad was that that touchstone of a person in my life. He was a great listener, um, 
really honoring the truth in life. He was a seeker, even when it was hard, you know, to seek one's truth or define what is true for you. And to really look at our state of our world. And, you know, he just wrestled with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But a really, a very creative, loving life in spite of it all. You know, like, I just think when he would sing, it was his greatest joy. And when the three of us would sing together, it was an pretty incredible experience. So were you singing from the time that you were teeny tiny? Well, yeah. I mean, it's so funny because my mom... Literally, this is the story. She was eight months pregnant with me playing Serena and Porgy and Bess. So Serena has this incredible aria, which is How do you called- sing an aria <laughs> when you're eight months pregnant with all that pressure? This is what she did. How do you- <laughs> like, She said that when she would hit that high, high note, that she, I would move over so that she could get enough air to do it. This is what she's, that's the story she tells me. That is insane. I yeah. mean, just really imagine trying to get those notes out with like an eight pound yes. Erica or six <laughs> pounds, whatever you were, you're so teeny, you're probably like five pounds. Um, like that is unbelievable. Yeah. Is there a recording of that? Was that? I don't know if she has a recording of that one, but, you know, you ask about early on, it's like, I would go on tour with her when she was playing Bess and we would go to Europe or, you know, and and I can remember me being eight and Mm -hmm. she was playing Bess at the time, but I was playing Serena's daughter and having my first onstage experience and going, this is what I want to do at eight. So is that something you had to audition for or, or they were like, why doesn't your daughter play this part? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't have any lines, you know, right. I mean, it was like, so it was just, it. They, they needed a lot of kids for the, you know, they, they'd ha- they'd usually hire kids wherever, you know, we'd go to the, wherever, whatever the country we were yeah. in, you know. And so you got to and work with her. So I got to see, and I'd watch her from the wings and it was like, I knew the whole show backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was that kind of. But when you say like, that's, what you knew you wanted because, because why, when you're on stage and that. I I had an experience and it's so odd to even say it now, based on what we were just talking about is that in the scene where Serena sings this aria about my man's gone now, she's weeping over the loss of her husband. Mm -hmm. And so literally at eight, I did an as if exercise, not knowing what that was. Right. Okay. And I imagined that my father actually had passed away. And I started weeping real tears during this performance. And I was just like, this is incredible. (laughs) I remembered it at eight. Wow. And then I had this one line, I do remember it, they, they, this guy is saying, yes, your honor, yes, your honor. This, this like the song has everybody singing, yes, your honor. And then this one little child comes out and goes, yes, your honor. And the whole audience hysterically cracked up. And this is an opera house in Portugal, right? And I was going, oh, I guess this is kind of cool. (laughs) So it was like these extremes, this extreme, you know, crying and then creating laughter. And and I just found it to be. And then I I also remember the gentleman who was playing Porgy. There's this song. it's It's called, Oh, Lord, I'm on my way. I forget the title of the song, but it's at the end. And he would always make me cry, the singer. He was so incredible. And it was just, you know, the magic of theater. I got to experience it very young. And that was kind of what I knew I wanted to be a part of it. And also, I have a lot of friends who are only children. And Mm. they get to do a lot of grown-up things. They get to come along because there's just one of them and it's such a trifecta, like, like that family unit. It's so, or, or sometimes I call it the Trinity and, you know, you just get to kind of be in all of these experiences that most people your age don't. Exactly. Exactly. Did your parents, were they able to support themselves as artists? Did they have lots of other jobs at different times? They did have other jobs sometimes. And I think that's what was really valuable for me because I saw the hills and the valleys. You know, I saw the challenge of 
when you had to do another job or how challenging it was. And so I watched it, you know, I got to see that up close and personal. Um, and so I wasn't, I guess, you know, with Hollywood, I wasn't so mesmerized by it because I kind of saw also the other side. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I mean, there, you know, it's like you were saying before, there are very few people who get their dream at 19, um, which actually what you're saying is it wasn't your dream to be on a TV show. You were going to make art in the theater, which you have done a lot of for decades at the same time as you've been on all of like, you're always on like the most popular TV show, right? Like the, 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 when, when we put this time in a time capsule and years from now, someone digs it out, it'll be like Grey's Anatomy and ER and, you know, and fame, like all of these shows, whatever is going on each decade, you're a part of it yet. You've always, so that's the pop culture aspect Mm -hmm. of it. But then Mm -hmm. there's like, you know, if there's the A side, B side of the album and you're kind of spinning it around, then there's like your unbelievable songwriting and concerts and theater and one woman shows. And you have managed to carve out one of the most sort of desirable artistic paths. And I feel like you, your passion for it seems to remain really fiery. And so I wonder what has sustained that. Hmm. What a great question. Thank you for that. I always go back to the love. It's the love of the work. It's the love of stepping into a new character or being able to write a song or be able to connect through the message of the song or the play or the film or the TV show that I really believe in or that bringing to life the soul of that particular person character that has kept me going and being fortunate. Did you always write songs like even when you were young or is that? No, no, that it's so funny. I mean, you know, Helen Slater. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Super girl. Yeah. Well, we went to high school together and she was a sister. I mean, is a sister of mine. We're friends. I love her so much. I have not seen her in 1 million years, but just hearing her name right now, I'm levitating. That's amazing. Well, she, you know, we live kind of close to each other out Mm -hmm. here and we're, I mean, I love her. She's a sister. And um, in high school, she was writing songs and performing arts. And so I would like marvel at her writing. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, one day I want to do that. And so when I started fame, I would just literally sit at the piano, sit at the piano and write. And I took lessons when I was a child, but not, you know, consistently. And then after leaving the show, actually Lee Carreri on Fame gave me his piano teacher's name. And so when I came back to New York, right before I started doing theater, I bought this piano, this Yamaha that I still have to this day. And for a year, I played piano, studying with this teacher, just improvising. And then I started to birth these songs Mm. and continued for a number of years. And did you take songwriting classes or is that? I did. I did. I actually, there was this great composer, Noah Ain, and she did, she did um, some off-Broadway pieces and pieces that she got commissioned to do actually. And I started studying with her songwriting in New York. And also this other great teacher, Michael Wolf, who's a jazz pianist and, Mm -hmm. but just started really breaking down. I just really helping. And that, that helped me so much in terms of songwriting. So when did you decide, because we're having this conversation while you are in California and I'm in Brooklyn, um, <laughs> how did you decide as such a New York girl and someone who grew up in New York and went to high school in New York and loves the theater and the theater loves you, um, how did you end up in LA and making that choice for home? Well, I certainly wasn't planning on it. I'll just say that at first. I um, It was because of my now ex-fiance who really wanted to move out here at the time. And I was really, I didn't have the greatest feelings about California, but I was also at a place where I realized if I want to continue working, I have to dispel the shadow of what California represents to me. 
And I came back to, you know, with the idea to work for both of us to have a go at it. And it was really about dispelling a shadow in my life because I wanted to be free, even if I didn't stay here as long, but I just didn't want to have a thing about it. Do you know what what I mean by that? Like when you say, like describe it a little, write a song about it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess what I mean is, if I really blatant, like the superficiality of it, the kind of, the sort of fakeness of it, the um, only the business stuff or just, just kind of the fame years in a way of like the echoes of that of like, Oh, all this attention and now having being in a different place and just all that stuff that Mm -hmm. felt that was attached to it. And I really wanted to dispel it so that it wasn't this kind of thing. I keep saying thing, but I just mean, you know, like when there's a feeling, that feeling, I don't, I want to be free of that. I don't want to have a shackle around my neck or my, any, anything on me. I want to free myself. And which I did by coming back out here. And what was so ironic is my high school mates from performing arts, 10 of us moved out here around the same time. So these New Yorkers, we transplanted around the same time mm-hmm. and it's been family. Wow. So Including I found Helen Slater. Including Helen. You know, it, it's it's the tribe and we found the tribe and... And I have to say, honestly, another thing that has really kept me going internally has been my Buddhist practice, which I've been doing for 35 years. And And how did that enter your life? That entered actually originally when I was a teenager, I was wanting to look into some of my Native American roots. And I was studying with this woman who was um, of the Tuslegi tribe. And she would talk about how she felt the Native American path was very similar to some of the Buddhist paths. And so she introduced me to this chant when I was young and I really didn't take to it. And then in my mid early twenties, um, another high school mate of mine introduced me to it. And I decided to take that road and to embrace it. And then I shared it with my parents who started to chant in their later years in life. And it was just seeing how this practice is about really revitalizing every morning and evening. You know, you ha- I, like pra- I like a practice. I like very much of a tactile person. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of because life is the hills and the valleys, the losses and the gains and, and what, excuse me, what sustains you through those times. And I've found that this particular practice has really been a great source of looking at life from a a creative perspective and also using everything that crosses your path as an opportunity to grow and go forward and also think about what am I contributing to the world and the betterment of the world. And that's been really valuable. That, you know, so much of, of why people People either grow up in religion uh, or seek religion or faith um, often because more than anything, they're worried about the end of life or Mm. sort of grappling with what happens after Mm. this life. And um, I'm curious, and this may be really hard to articulate, but as you go through this very real moment of losing your father, have there been Buddhist practices and beliefs that have held you up or given you comfort? Absolutely. I mean, I think what I'll say is that I knew because I'd been living out here for a while that I needed to spend more time with my parents. Mm -hmm. And then I got the show God Friended Me, right? Which brings me to New York for two years. Incredible. And those two years, I got to spend the most incredible time with my parents Mm -hmm. and my father in particular. And what's so interesting, and I'm getting to the Buddhist perspective Mm -hmm. on this, but I ended up writing a song that the show used called This Moment. And we never know life, what life has in store, right? Four days before my father passes away, I invite him to the set with my mother to see me perform this song that I'm doing on the show. 
And his joy and his pride and his love that day was so evident. Little did I know, four days later, my father would pass. So the thing that holds me up in the Buddhist practice is to cherish every moment we have because we don't know what's coming and not from a place of fear, Mm -hmm. but just a place of the constant in life is that it's ever changing. Right. And so what the Buddhist practice is talking about the eternity of life, that yes, maybe that person is not physically here, but the bond that I share with him is eternal has really held me up and that I also have no regrets because we got to say everything to each other. We, I got to be with him and we got to celebrate mm-hmm. life in its limited form in terms of this lifetime. You know, we have yeah. a certain amount of time we're here, each one of us, but I feel the Buddhist perspective of the eternity of life and that we are the microcosm of the macrocosm of like, you know, you look at the universe or the galaxy or you look at the stars at night and you think of the immense, vast potential there is and that each of us as human beings have that vast potential in ourselves really makes you, really sustains you in the belief of the beauty of what life is. And that has held me up through this time. And also, I mean, I really have no regrets because I'm so grateful he was my father Mm -hmm. and that we got to share such quality time together. Wow. That's so incredible. When, you know, just as an aside, when Joe Morton was on this podcast, we were just, it was such an Erica love fest. Um, He just felt so lucky to have you come on that show just in time. Just in time. That was a really unique show. Um, what a great concept. I love I love thinking about the pitch for certain things. Um, uh-huh. And that's just such, you can just hear the pitch and it's just yeah. so perfect and great. Um, I want to talk to you because we could dissect the fame experience, the ER experience, the profiler. I mean, the, the, the movies, all of it, um, the great films that people get to see you in. Um, but I really, before I lose you today, I want to know what, what is making you happy creatively right now and what are the things and projects that you're looking forward to and, and working on? I know you write scripts, not just songs. So can you talk to me about all the things that you've been making in your house, your little Thank paradise you. in LA, which turned out to be a great place somehow for you. I know, right? Yes. Yeah. Art yeah. can be made, my friend. Yes. On the West Art Coast. Art can be made on yes. the West Coast. Exactly. Um, it's so great you asked that question. Um, you know, I've, I've been working on a screenplay that's called Rise. And it's so interesting. We're talking about my dad because my father gave me a poem, which I'm wondering if you know, called The Invitation. Have you ever read that poem, The Invitation? I, I'm i not sure. I okay. feel like three different things popped into my head, and so now I'm not sure which one this is. But okay. if you can share it or tell it, that would just, be incredible. I'll just share like a portion of the part that really stuck out to okay. me. And Thank it, you. It, it's, um, this woman's name is um, Mariah Mountain Dreamer. I think that's what her name is. And but there's a portion of this poem, and my father gave it to me and a couple years ago. And it, it, the essence of the poem asks, I want to know what sustains you when all else falls away. And that just resonated with me. And I was approaching a certain age, I'll just say that. <laughs> and I really was looking at, well, what does truly sustain us as we mature? And this story started to emerge from me and I started to write. And this story follows a woman's journey the week of her 50th birthday as she watches a lot of things she's built fall away. Mm-hmm. And she decides to return to Martha's Vineyard where she spent her summers as a child, which is also the place she had a very strong bond with her father. And I wrote this, I began this ye- a couple of years ago, but it's about her father's passing, which is very interesting. I'm just sharing that as an odd, 
unconscious thing that we do sometimes as artists. Yeah. But upon returning to this island, she reunites with her first love, her childhood friend, and then this dynamic matriarch who's in her 90s. And through this reconnection, she begins to reclaim the parts of herself she thought she lost and finds an acceptance of where she is now, but the courage to go forward in this next chapter of her life. And I'm also very interested in the history of Martha's Vineyard within the Black community of families that have gone up there since the 20s and this rich community that has not really been explored. So that's what I'm very excited about because the message of this film is really about coming home and coming home to ourselves ultimately, but also as women mature, that we are not to be discarded, we're actually to be treasured as we become these wonderful, wise women. And so I definitely wanna celebrate that. You know, I was a New York City kid where summer times in the 70s were kind of not, kind of rough, you know? Yep. And so to be able to go to a place where you can leave your door open seemed like, what, where, where's this place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there is a, a blessing in that. So who, when you say that you guys are doing uh, another reunion, um, in between fame reunions, do you keep in touch with people or is it more like who needs to? We're going to see each other and, <laughs> exactly. and them. <laughs> it depends, you know, it depends on what's, what's happening. If there's a life event that I'll reach out to somebody or, you know, that, that does happen. Um, I was actually teaching at Debbie Allen's dance Academy acting to these young kids. I was doing little workshops for them. So I've definitely stayed in touch with Debbie over the years. Yeah. And, um, and then Valerie and Lee and Lee came to the reading of my screenplay. So it's, and then all of us went to Italy. And so it really depends. Like if there are birthdays and life events, we connect. You know, and, wow. Yeah. Is it almost, wait, I'm terrible at math. Is that show 40 years ago? Uh, the movie is 40 years ago. Yeah. Okay. The show isn't yet. The movie came out in 79, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. you're, you're like a year or two we're after that. We're like two years after that. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, we're getting up there, babe. I'm just getting up there. Like, to have this touchstone, to have this thing that just, yeah. It's like a marriage, like that just keeps escorting you through life and kind of finding you at all these different stages. And yet it, the material is the same, like the songs you sing, like that's just incredible. Yeah. But what's interesting though, too, is that a lot of the youth are parents, you know, who may be in our age are sharing it with the younger generation. So then I have this whole plethora of like... 13 year olds reaching out to be on like Instagram for the yeah. first time. And they're like, I love the show. I'm like, thank you. You know what I mean? So it's so cool. This revisiting of that. Now they have access to you guys, yeah. right? That's and on the YouTube, the YouTube show. Yeah. You just sounded like my mother. And on the YouTube, do you know about the YouTube? <laughs> they have the YouTube also. It's very good, Erica. The YouTube. Do you, do you, um, do you understand technology? Like, is that something that is intuitive for you? Have you been able to move along with it? I'm getting better at it. I am. I'm getting a lot better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have to. I know. I mean, at this point. I'm making a podcast with you through technology, <laughs> and I think it might even record. Um ah. Erica, one last question is, okay. do you have a little known fact that you can share all right. Okay. Here's the, I mean, this is not maybe amazing, but I mean, nobody really knows this, I think. Okay. Is one of my favorite things to do is go to the beach really and stay till really, really late at night and just literally look up at the stars till for a long time. I love that. Oh, I want to do that with you. Yeah. When you come out, I that would be know. great. If I will meet in the vineyard, we might meet on the vineyard yeah, and do I'll that. Be there that this be... summer when you're filming, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I'll I'll do crafty for you. Oh. I would be happy. 
Um, Erica, I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for spending this time with me and I adore you and I'm so happy that we could do this. Thank you. Well, you're an amazing woman, artist, your family, you inspire me so much and your heart is just always so, so warm and just, I've always loved your work and what you contribute to the artistic community and just the kind of woman you are, just very supportive and welcoming. And I just thank you for what you create and are doing with this beautiful show that you have. Thank you, friend. All right, I hope I see you really soon. Hey, before I sign off, I just want to tell you guys one more thing. I have a new podcast out. It's called And the Award Goes To, and you can find it on the Broadway Podcast Network or really anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is an incredible journey that I take with 10 Tony winners where together we listen to their speech that they made the night they won, and then they just take me through their entire Tony experience, how the role came into their lives, what the role meant to them, what the challenges were, how it felt to be nominated and more unbelievable, how it felt to win, and then what it is to wake up the next day after your lifelong dream has happened. Then what do you do? This 10-part limited series is something that started as a love letter to the Tonys when they were canceled this year and just turned into this whole other adventure. I'm so grateful to my guests, all of whom you love as much as I do. So check out and the award goes to, you're really going to enjoy it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City.